Hello, friends. I am kicking off a new format. Um, You may have noticed that the last episode um, was a 3D conversation, and those are designed to go deeper, have some fun debunking the myths about a certain topic, and then even some friendly debate. But I like to challenge myself and one of those challenges is that I've decided to do is to do some monologues or, or what I'm maybe rather cheesily calling manologues, which is just my opinion or my perspective on whatever is uh, at the top of my heart and mind, whatever feels timely, whatever feels right to speak about. And so the, the intention of the manologues is really to be transparent, to challenge myself, to communicate in a new way. So for this first episode of the Manologue series, um, I wanted to talk about something that I don't think I've done like publicly in from a record, you know, podcast or speaking standpoint, and that is to, to be more direct about my faith. Um, and so I'm calling this episode A Theology of Wholeness. And just for some context, many of you that, are, that listen to the podcast or read my stuff know this, but for context, I was raised in a fundamentalist, I mean, I, it's, I hesitate to call it a cult, but say cult-like environment, a definitely an, an insular and closed society. Um, it's a group that doesn't take an official name, commonly referred, by, to the, referred to as the two-by-twos. Um, that's the Wikipedia page anyway. And that was fundamentalist Christianity, this sense from a theological standpoint that the Bible, the entire Bible was the word of God, that um, there's a suspicion around science. There is a, definitely a patriarchal structure, definitely a supremacy, often white supremacy structure. And um, over the years, that or that group is evolved from sort of the teaching, teaching Jesus, if you will, to defending or justifying the church and its claim of being the only way on earth. Um, I uh, I was part of that. Um, I didn't really join it. I was raised in it. I didn't join it till I was eighteen, and a lot of it, in hindsight, was I was just looking for something to belong to. And I got married at 18. My, my, my partner for many years, Lena, was a member of the church, a very devout, kind of the classic uh, archetype of the, um, the church, or, uh, good Christian wife. And I wanted to be th- that as a, as a man, as a husband. Um, but I, I realized, too, that I, I, I was in it, but not in it, and that I was trying to use that as a framework to understand life. But the more I tried to use the framework to understand life, the less I understood about myself, or maybe put another way, how I saw myself was never as a positive until, really until I left in 2016. And I've said this before, but I, my body left in 2016. I think I left, my soul left and began searching for less restrictive truth in probably in the early 2000s. So uh, 
I do not have an um, evangelical background, but I, I know a lot of people that come out of evangelicalism, and um, I find its corruption um, to be horrifying, and especially around the prosperity doctrine, especially the, in, the blending of MAGA ideology with evangelical theology, which I think is heinous. Um, so I don't really speak to that too much because I, you know, I, I didn't come out of that. For this idea, though, or this theology of wholeness, I, I am having, I guess you could say, a Christian perspective. I'm af- often asked, you know, are you a Christian? And I always kind of cringe. Uh, unfortunately, um, as the bumper sticker says, Dear Jesus, please protect me from your followers. Unfortunately, Christian now is somewhat synonymous with asshole. Um, or some form of that. So what I've been saying is that my beliefs, my beliefs, my spiritual beliefs are Jesus-centric. And before I get into the, the theology of wholeness, I think it's important to unpack the theology of brokenness, which is what fundamentalism is, which it is what much of institutional denominations teach, um, and certainly in the evangelical, the white evangelical community as well. And the, uh, f- the, 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 the theology of brokenness um, essentially teaches that, teaches as I wrote about, and I'll link to this essay in the, in the show notes I wrote about, it teaches you that you're a piece of shit, um, that you are, as a human, born flawed and you need to be saved. Now, a little bit of research will show that that thinking, the concept of original sin and sin meaning that there's a sort of inherent brokenness um, and that you need a savior, did, did not actually come from anything Jesus taught. It really came from Augustine. Um, uh, yet it is pervasive, this idea that you're a piece of shit is pervasive. Um, and within that, that, that idea that you're flawed is, you know, you need a savior, as I said, or that Jesus died for your sins. He never said that, by the way. He never said he died for our sins. Um, and so I look at the existence, the, you know, say 1,800 years uh, existence of the dominant theology of brokenness. And I wonder why it exists. How did that happen? And I think it's, it's for a couple of reasons. One is that it's a power structure. We go back to, you know, after Jesus um, was crucified, there was this period of three or 400 years where the mystics really kind of ran things, if you will. There was no formal church. There was a whole bunch of different groups. It was very fluid. Um, the, the, there was a lot more Gnostic principles at that time. But then um, a certain group of people identified as, as Christians decided to negotiate, if you will, with the Roman government and the church state, the first church state um, was, was created, the Holy Roman Empire. And from there, um, Christianity became a power structure, became about power. Um, and it was used then as, a, as to justify a, this, the patriarchal structure. It was definitely used to, for white supremacy 
and used to justify colonization, used to justify slavery, used to justify war, used to justify genocide. And in many ways, that power structure, patriarchal power structure, supremacy structure exists today, especially in evangelicalism, who in modern times, you go back to the late 60s, the evangelical movement moved from trying to teach the Bible to people to taking over the government. And you can dig into that on your own. Um, So the other aspect of this doctrine or theology of brokenness is it's a business model. Imagine you will, you tell people they're a piece of shit, and the only way that they cannot be a piece of shit isn't just the accepting the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as, you know, it's to, um, that is to pay for your sins, and in many cases, literally pay for your sins. Um, This uh, precedes Christianity, and the story of Jesus overturning the tables kind of alludes to this, this idea that uh, theology or theological structures, religions, churches, are really business models. They are designed to take the thing that makes you take what's called FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and monetize it. Um, and when you combine monet- uh, f- f- business model with power structure, you get an institution. And the institution becomes a system. And um, as Virginia often talks about from a complexity science standpoint, a system does not change from the inside. Um, it only can erode. There's only entropy unless more power is acquired. So there are many other aspects of uh, the theology of brokenness, but in particular is the, the way that the Bible is viewed. The Bible is not seen as a book of clues, but a book of laws. And there's a general ignorance about how it was created and how heavily edited it, it, it is and how that editing, especially many, many years after the supposed authors died, um, how the editing was used to justify patriarchal and white supremacy structures. So what I think is happening now, too, is a general return from exile for people. This, this renewed interest in spirituality, not as a sort of woo-woo. There's certainly the wellness industry and the woo-woo industry, so I'm not really referring to them, but that personal quest to return home to yourself. And part of the reason for that is that the theology of brokenness was rampant, is rampant with abuse. Um, there's the religious abuse of you're a piece of shit and there's something wrong with you and you're inherently flawed for being a human, especially if you're a woman or if you're queer or if you're a person of color. Um, there is often physical abuse. Um, and that physical abuse is in the, in, in the form of the justification at a macro level of war and at a domestic level of domestic violence. Um, sexual assault, abuse and sexual assault is pervasive in any group that, that lives by the theology of brokenness. And then certainly mental and emotional abuse. And our dear friend Mark Delcom, um, who is launching a nonprofit called Broken No More, which is a home for queer 
people to re kind of recapture their or rediscover their divinity. Um, and anyway, he says that um, flawed theology always leads to abuse, and you can see that. And I I view very much that the theology of brokenness is flawed theology. It is not in alignment with Jesus's teachings. Um, so what that abuse does is it makes you separate from yourself and you try to fill the gap with repentance in the form of the way that the church teaches repentance and penance and um, going and doing mission work and you're trying to fill that gap but really what's happening is you've been split off from you by the abuse and so the theology of wholeness is a is an invitation to return home. And so the theology of wholeness, as I describe it, and this is my concept in the sense that this sort of came out of some journal journal scribblings, if you will. So I'm sort of fleshing it out live, if you will, in this recording. Um, but it it is an interesting thing to me that the theology of wholeness matches very much the, the principles of complexity science and physics. Um, and so a couple of the principles of wholeness is that um, everything good is pulled towards wholeness. There is a magnetic pull to return to wholeness. And it's only institutional intrusion uh, that prevents that return returning to wholeness. I think this also includes the idea that your soul is intact. No matter what happened to you, no matter your conditions, no matter where you come from, your soul is intact. And the mind be, may be shattered by abuse or circumstances, and that needs healing. And that is the work of you know, therapy and trauma-informed uh, therapy in particular, but the soul is intact. And if the soul is intact, then it means that we are infinitely priceless. That the idea that we are basically the opposite of a piece of shit, we are, we are mystical creatures who are worth an, an infinite amount. Um, and I've often... I've often prayed this, and I have it as a tattoo, um, not, not as, as, as a symbol that Caden designed. But I've often prayed, I wish just for 10 seconds people could see what God or the universe or whatever you call that being, I wish people could see what God sees in them. And because then they would see the wholeness, and they would see that their soul is intact, and they would see that they're infinitely priceless. Another element of the theology of wholeness and this also kind of goes back to complexity science, is that we are all connected. Um, the, the idea that, of indiv- that we are individualized, we are individual, and we are autonomous, yes, but all souls are connected. It is its own ecosystem. And what that means is we are all in some, to some extent responsible for each other's wholeness. That's what namaste means, that, that greeting. Um, and that because of that, that 
social justice and inequity is not a separate thing. It's not really even ideological. Policy is ideological related to social justice. But at a spiritual level, it's about liberation and equality and the fact that we are all priceless we are, and we are all connected. The next principle that came to me is that, it, that the, in the theology of wholeness is that we are here to create. And we are here to be conduits between the material and the mystical. And what we create is kind of up to us and kind of up to our calling or our charter. So sometimes it's art. Um, I've seen, you see Caden's paintings and he's doing what he was born to do. And you see, I see Logan uh, as a father and a husband and, and when he's making his amazing food and even as a leader, doing what he was born to do. And, and so what the, this idea of wholeness from a place of wholeness that you are creating. Now, there's this idea of the tortured artist and angst within. That's true. Not that art, all art it comes from people that believe in the theology of wholeness. For sure, that's not true. But for those that embrace this idea that we have a responsibility to create, uh, maybe that's create a movement or create a business that serves humanity in some way or to create community, um, to create leadership, new leaders. I mean, the, the, the list of things we can create is endless. And especially when we can see that, that we're all connected and we can see what society needs. And the last one for now is that wholeness evolves so it's not a latent state, which means our spirituality evolves. It's supposed to. And one of the great and sad and tragic elements of the theology of brokenness is the stagnation that leads to a kind of vulnerability that attacks predators or tr- attracts predators. And so this is supposed to be fluid. It's supposed to be iterative. It is a spiral. Um, and it seems as if you, we worked up this spiral of the theology of wholeness that it's moving us towards something. It's a quote that's been attributed to Martin Luther King Jr., but he was quoting someone else when he said that the arc of time is long but bends towards justice. So maybe the theology of wholeness is the paradigm that is necessary in the world right now to invite everyone back home to themselves and invite people to question what they think they believe and question their identities. Um, I don't know. We'll see what it means, but I know it's going to evolve. So that's the show of the first monologue. Um, If you are a very religious person, especially around evangelicalism, you're probably offended. Good um, offense like that is an invitation. Um, If you're an atheist and open-minded, you might be curious. Um, One of my favorite thinkers, Marshall Davis, has a book called Thank God for Atheists, (laughs) which is is clever. Um, If you're agnostic, maybe you got something out of it too. Um, Whatever it is, I appreciate you listening, and I look forward to sharing future thoughts. Have a great day.